Welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. It's the show where we tackle the unexplained, the unbelievable, the bizarre, and uh, the strange. So many synonyms, Sean. (laughs) And I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And what are we talking about this week, Caroline? Well... Have you ever heard of spontaneous human combustion? Have I? I've seen the movie Spinal Tap. Okay, but do you know what it is? Uh, Yes, what my belief is that spontaneous human combustion is when a person spontaneously lights on fire and dies from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's basically it. Um, spontaneous human combustion, which... Do not, under any circumstances, get it confused with spontaneous combustion because that does not involve people. But that's oh. a whole nother sack of potatoes. Okay. Um, it's and that's c- also a going concern. Like in your, uh, were there a lot of people getting mad about about that <laughs> distinction? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I just was trying to be dramatic about it. Um, it is the concept of a living or recently deceased human body combusting into flame without an apparent external source of ignition. Or recently deceased. So you got some corpses just uh, blowing up. Yeah. So I, I didn't find any stories of just like, you know, a corpse blowing up by itself. But I think they might have meant... Uh, some of these people could have had like a heart attack or something and then caught on fire or exploded. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of unknowns in this story. What if that's what happened to the leather man's corpse? Just burned away in that grave. The leathery corpse, if I ever heard of one. Well, no, they, someone had taken the... Did I tell you that part? Somebody had taken the, uh, the, the clothes and was showing them for like 50 bits. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Spontaneous <laughs> human... fucked up. Yes, no, it's horrible. <laughs> So, Sean, you may be thinking, I'm worried about COVID, I'm worried about global warming, uh, murder hornets. Uh, do I have to worry about spontaneously bursting into flames, too? Um, I wasn't before right now. <laughs> well, maybe or maybe not. Um, There's a lot of that in this story. Some people believe it's a genuine, unexplainable phenomenon but others feel that most or all of the cases of spontaneous human combustion involve overlooked external sources of ignition. Okay, so just normal fires that we that we don't know something about. Right, but like specifically that caught people on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the real mystery here is how did these people burst into flames? Was there something else causing it? And if there's no apparent cause, uh, how did this happen? Love it. Mm-hmm. So what are your knee-jerk thoughts? Like, what's your theory on on just vaguely what you know about spontaneous human combustion? Well, I don't really. The jokes from Spinal Tap are, are most of the spontaneous human <laughs> combustion uh, knowledge that I have. So uh, I don't know. It's not something I've given a whole bunch of thought mm-hmm. so far. My guess would be yeah, my gut when you tell me that is uh, there's some fires and uh, people were bad at investigating them. Mm-hmm. That's that's my guess. People falling asleep smoking and uh, nobody found the cigarette butt. Right. Yeah, well, that that's a theory. Um, so for SHC, so spontaneous human combustion, it's just a lot easier to call it that. Need an acronym. Uh, we're going to dive into a few stories about it and let's see if you change your mind. Can't wait. Okay. So first off, we're going to start with the history of the phenomena. 
So the concept of spontaneous human combustion was first proposed in 1746 by Paul Rolli, R-O-L-L-I. Okay. Now, this is from the original Italian study by Veronese historian Giuseppe Bianchini. These hot-blooded Italians. <laughs> He's just talking about burning to death, that's all. So Paul, our old friend Paul, um, translated that original study and made it into an article published in the Philosophical Transactions Concerning the Mysterious Death of One Countess Cornelia Zagari Bandi, who is notable in history as being the grandmother of future Pope Pius the Sixth, VI? Six? That would be six, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we all know about Pope Pius the Sixth. Wait, she was his future mother and he, uh, she no, the spontaneously grandmother. combusted? Oh, okay. The grandmother. So, I actually went and looked at this article, mm-hmm. thanks to Google Books, and I didn't know the story of someone literally exploding into flame could be so boring. <laughs> it is very dry, uh, very boringly written. Do you have any? Um, do you have any copy for me? Do I have any copy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up, sum it up so that like you and our audience they don't fall asleep. <laughs> um, so, in Rolly's text, the mystery began when the Countess quote was all day as well as she used to be, but at night was observed when at supper dull and heavy. I can only picture the little fat uh, Dalmatian from 101 Dalmatians <laughs> writing this. That was that was Rolly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so she starts off dull and heavy, which after Who a long day, like, yeah, I'm dull and heavy too. Uh, she retired to bed, but her maid noticed in the morning that she hadn't woken up at her usual hour and went to check on her. The maid could not have possibly been paid enough to deal with what she discovered next, which was, quote, four feet distance from the bed, there was a heap of ashes, two legs untouched from the foot to the knee with their stockings on. <laughs> Between them was the lady's head, whole brains, half of the back part of the skull, and the whole chin were burnt to ashes, amongst which were found three fingers blackened. All the rest was ashes, which had this particular quality that they left in the hand, which, why are you touching them? Stop doing that. Um, Put down those ashes. (laughs) Just put them down. Uh, They left in the hand a greasy and stinking moisture. Mm. So, like, who doesn't love a greasy, Mm. stinking moisture first thing in the morning? Love that. So she was just a, a foot to knee on both legs and then her head, half her head? Yes. Three fingers. So their two legs untouched from foot to knee with with their stockings still on. And there's some of the head, the whole of the brains, half of the back part of the skull, the whole chin, and a a few fingers for for color. (laughs) A little sousant of fingers. Here's my question. She was in bed? She was... Yeah, I think so. What's the rest of the bed look like? Well, let's let's see what, what Paul has to say about that. Okay, but I will tell you, remember the weird greasy moisture (laughs) and the untouched, unburned like legs and feet. That'll come up again later. There is no danger of me forgetting that. (laughs) So Paul Rowley went on to say that the air in the room had soot in it and there was a small oil lamp on the floor covered with ashes, but which had no oil actually in it. The soot and the moisture in the air, like that greasiness, had penetrated all of the surrounding furniture and walls to the point where in the nearby pantry there was a piece of bread that was also found covered with greasy soot. 
in a nearby pantry. I'm going to assume it's like the room over. Right. You yeah. know, like off of the room, there's a closet. Um, or there's just like a little like rat running around from from ashes to bread, spreading them everywhere. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that could work. So they did what old assholes used to do with poison <laughs> back in the day, and they tried to feed the sooty bread to some dogs. Ew. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. You're not going to feed it to your kids. Yes. Um, but the dogs refused to eat it. What did they hope to find? What did they hope to find out from that? So this is kind of a common thing. Um, a lot of people in court would have dogs and things like that that they would feed their food to as like poison testers Mm -hmm. i guess they weren't uh they weren't quite as close to their companions as we are nowadays and um even in things like the witch trials you would always uh, make a witch cake which is like um you mix some kind of flour or whatever with the urine of an afflicted person, someone that is believed to be possessed by a witch. You make a nice little cake out of that. Hopefully mm. you wash mm. out that that pan that you made that on. And then you feed the cake to a dog. And if the dog, like, dies or um, becomes agitated in some way, then they are possessed. Well, if it's a cast iron pan, you don't want to wash all that dog urine off. That's seasoning. <laughs> God, that's disgusting. Uh, yeah, so the dogs refused to eat it. So keep in mind, Poe has literally eaten his own barf. So <laughs> and if, other dogs, yes, uh, licked dogs' butts. Mm-hmm. Um, dogs aren't really shy about putting their their mouths on things to try and eat them. So these dogs were like, "That weird bread is just beyond the pale. I'm not going to eat it." Well, but again, what would they have found if they if they had if say you feed the weird bread to the dog and the dog dies? Now you just know the bread was poisonous. How does that help us with the fire? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I think people just liked feeding poison to dogs. Yeah. They're just trying to get dogs to eat weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wrong and, and not great. Uh, you know, the, the equivalent now is mostly just us trying to see if Poe will like lick a lemon or whatever. We're a lot we're a lot lower on the asshole scale than these people were. Yeah. So Dogs well, won't he, eat the bread. He licks the inside of my mouth occasionally, so I, I don't okay, want. Okay, let's not advertise his, uh... that. Let's not spread that around. <laughs> um. Anyway, dogs wouldn't eat the bread, so that either way was going to tell them nothing. They couldn't quite figure out the cause of the tragedy, uh, but Paul Rowley himself—I don't know why I keep saying Paul Rowley. It's just like a little—I don't know. Um, Feels like someone who would be on Jersey Shore. Paul Rowley. Hey, my name's Paul Rowley. Here comes Paul Rowley. This is like a guy your dad was friends with in Pelham growing up. <laughs> yes. It's exactly that. Yeah, sure. Paul Rowley and... Uh... <laughs> Paul Rowley himself. Uh, well, he wrote that there is no room to suppose any supernatural cause, and the likeliest cause, then, is a flash of lightning that penetrated either the chimney or through the cracks of the windows and did the operation. Which is a very, again, a very mafia. Like, oh, I guess the lightning did the operation. <laughs> Paul Rowley doesn't know what's going on. You always hire lightning. They're going in a flare. <laughs> They're going in a flare. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that guy is. 
is Paul Rowley. It's Paul Rowley. <laughs> He's coming over here with Jimmy Two Beans. Mm-hmm. So to me, this seems more far-fetched uh, than, I mean, I don't know, like like a, a bolt of lightning coming in, hitting just this person, turning them into greasy ashes, and then nothing nothing else happens. Where did it come in through? Through the, the window? Uh that penetrated either either through the chimney or through the cracks of the windows and did the operation. Yeah. So presumably the windows were closed. Yeah, and untouched. It sounds like we would have we probably would have heard about the windows being broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So. I don't know about the lightning bolt. Yeah. Well, Charles Dickens. Uh, the Charles Dickens. Yeah, old Charlie Dix himself. All right. Come on, Chuck. Um, he actually referenced this case in his book Bleak House where a character actually died of SHC. Dickens himself believed this really could happen, but received some epic Victorian shade from literary critic George <laughs> Henry Luce, who accused Dickens of giving currency to a vulgar error. Wow. I know. Like, ooh, like RuPaul Drag Race. Uh, so Dicky Boy clapped back and cited many documented cases and his own memories of coroner's inquests that he had attended when he had been a reporter. He wrote that, I shall not abandon the facts until there shall have been a considerable spontaneous combustion of the testimony on which human occurrences are usually received. So whatever that means <laughs> is, is how we felt. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but there it is. It's like people totally burst into flames. <laughs> I'm Charles Dickens. <laughs> and this is Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> uh, well, moving past the Countess's case in 1731, which appears to be one of the first ever written down at least. Um, we're going to take a quick dip into the 1800s with the case of Matilda Rooney, who was a Seneca, Illinois woman who burst into flames late Christmas Eve night of 1885 while alone in her kitchen. The fire incinerated her entire body except her feet. So, wait, as far as you could find, there's no reported cases for the 140 years in between? Sean, there are, but I'm not going to... Do you want me to go every case? How many cases? We're going to get to that, but I think there's at least 200 that people have attached to the idea. I got time. No. <laughs> You're going to get what you get. All right, 1880. 1885. Oh. Christmas Eve night. I'm back in. She caught on fire somehow. The fire incinerated her entire body except her feet. So... Does that remind you of anything? Oh, it's like the first lady. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's like the first lady. Yes. And tragically, the fire also claimed the life of her husband, Patrick, who suffocated from the fumes in another room of the house. But the house didn't burn down. No, it was the fumes that did it. Which is why investigators were pretty baffled when they showed up to this. Um, that evening, the Roonies were just chilling, drinking whiskey, like a totally casual christmas eve mm -hmm. just uh, the two of them uh, well a farmhand of theirs who had spent a couple hours with them that day said he didn't notice anything out of the ordinary um and the investigators found no source of ignition for the fire but there was also no foul play suspected so the the rest of the room wasn't burned she's just two feet in a pile of ash uh yep the fire incinerated her whole body except for her feet, and it was 
it it stuck to her body. What, um, what kind of whiskey were they drinking? I'm just going to adjust my my brands. <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't find that particular information, but I could find the the answer to your uh, query about the rest of the room. The flames didn't seem intense enough to spread at all, even though they reduced Matilda to ashes and bone aside from her feet. Oh, and bone. Wait, this the, the so there are there skeletons left behind? No. They're mostly ash. It's kind of like um when you're cremated, right. you'll have like chunks of bone in there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it is a lot of the time, except for like the weirdly intact body parts. So yeah, the the flames did not spread at all. Um, Patrick died from the fumes, not the fire. So if we're going to take a quick scientific detour. Uh, yeah, sure. I'd love to. We're going to add this one to the reasons the FBI are going to come after me because my Google searches are suspicious pile. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many degrees does it take to burn a human body? Oh, Caroline. Mm-hmm. So it takes between, and now this could be wrong, but I, I seen, saw in like several sources that it was around this, if we have any crematory listeners that want to uh, pipe in, please feel free. Get at us. Tell us how to burn these bodies. <laughs> so it should be between 1100 to 1500 degrees Celsius um, of heat, or that's that, like approximately uh, 2012 to 2732 degrees of Fahrenheit. So. Oh, 2000 mm-hmm. degrees Fahrenheit? Mm-hmm. All right, so we're we're talking twice as hot as a, a New Haven pizza oven. <laughs> sure, <laughs> only you know these facts, Sean. <laughs> you want at seven hundred to nine hundred degrees. Anyway, Caroline, uh, uh, that's a lot of degrees. Yeah, so that's what it takes to reduce a human body to ash, like these have been. Um, so, in your average crematorium, bodies are burned around, let's say. 2500 degrees fahrenheit again i don't have any experience i swear i don't have any experience so if anyone else uh has a a differing knowledge of this please let me know but even then like i said the the bodies aren't fully just ash and dust it's there's bone a a lot of large fragments uh have to be ground up in preparation to give to a you know like put in an urn or whatever when people are doing this in the crematorium what do they use to do that i don't know like a cheese grater i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh her new bone grinding machine got in they have like we have we have like a pretty um a pretty good coffee grinder upstairs i think we could throw a couple bone chunks in there okay well let's not though so if we were going to compare it to a wood fire that burns between 800 to 900 degrees Celsius, which is about 1,472 to 1,652 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's like a thousand degrees less. I I can't get across enough how immense that amount of heat is of 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Um. So, according to the Live Safe Foundation, the average house fire burns around 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like everything on fire, all the all the flammable objects in a house. Right. That's why the people in a house fire aren't usually reduced to nothing. Yes. Um, so, when we're thinking of 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, how 
does that kind of heat even get activated when a house fire doesn't burn that hot? Literal jet fuel burns at around 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, then how did it melt all those steel beams? Oh. oh I'm sure we're going to go into that again. They weakened the beams. They didn't melt them anyway. Um, again, that's like a thousand degrees less. So what made Matilda Rooney catch on fire that wasn't even apparent to investigators? Because if it's creating that kind of heat, like you'd think it would be a little obvious. And light yeah. the rest of the room on fire. Right. That's that's the part that I'm stuck on. And is... that's that's what happens in like most of these cases. Like in the Countess's case, I think I read, you know, just the corner of her bed uh, that she was actively laying on was like burned a bit and, and disturbed. But otherwise, she was still in bed. There was nothing like the whole bed wasn't ashes mm-hmm. it had spread nowhere else so it's it's crazy just soot everywhere hey did, just we, the soot. did we have the soot in the 1885 lady i did not find if there was greasy soot in this case but we might encounter some later who knows oh, so could the investigators have missed something of course sure yeah it's the late 1800s uh, to paraphrase John Mullaney, a criminal could leave DNA all over the place and detectives would be more about uh, getting back to their hunch. So it they didn't have the tools necessarily to know about different kind of uh, ways that this kind of fire could have been ignited. But again, you'd think they'd find something because it's so hot. Yeah. The, the other problem here is you, you can never guarantee it's not just real bad detectives. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, but again, like, it it matches the other one in that there's just her feet left. Why is that the case, you know? Well, I'm gonna have to... Well, maybe the detectives were so bad, they just lost the rest of the body. Like, when they got there? (laughs) It just blew out the door? find it. (laughs) Maybe. Um, well, let's, let's move forward in time a little bit. Okay. We're going to go to July 2nd, 1951, where men were men and girls were (laughs) servants. I don't know. Like not, uh, Mary Reeser, a 67 year old woman was found burned to death in her Florida home after her landlady realized that the house's doorknob was unusually warm. Hmm. So, and she at first she thought Kevin McAllister <laughs> might be on the other side, right? Like, is she Joe Pesci? Like, how do you notice that a, a door? Like, oh, this is oh. like, unless it's actively burning you, like, you just touch it, you're like, oh, this is a little warm, it's a little warmer than usual. Back of the hand, that's what they say during a fire, by the way, right? But I mean, it's July, I'll, like, it's facing, I assume, the outside mm-hmm. of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's July. Maybe the doorknob was in the sun. Like, I don't find it suspicious, or, but um, it. what do you even think when you feel a doorknob that is hot? Right. It is a classic fire thing, though. It's a classic. Uh... I guess. So she called the police. Mm-hmm. She's like, this doorknob's too hot. 911. <laughs> we got a hot doorknob down here on floor eight. Uh, and they they came they they humored her and sadly found that Mary Reeser's remains were inside the house and they were completely completely burned to ash with just one leg remaining. Again, a leg. 
again a woman showing a little leg that's all yeah and i i don't sadly have like any statistics for this but i know that it's mostly older women Mm. more than men in these cases interesting was this a single lady i believe so yeah put your hands up i don't know if she was like a widow i think she had children yeah, I'm pretty sure she had children because I think one of them was there that day. Um, but I don't think she was. She had anyone living with her. Hmm. So the chair she was sitting in was also destroyed. Uh, the picture investigators took of the scene is kind of famous, actually. Like if you just look up spontaneous human combustion, it comes up. Now, do that if you have a strong stomach. Um, it's pretty bizarre. It's just ashes and a leg still wearing its shoe. And detective detectives on the scene, when they measured uh, Mary Reeser's temperature, they found it was around 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit or the uh, almost 2,000 degrees Celsius. What do you mean took her temperature? They're like they stuck a thermometer on the leg? Yeah, isn't that how you do it? <laughs> I don't know. And that that seems like an insane number, but that's the number that I found. So that's that's a crazy amount of heat that the body is still. This is wild. I, I insist you uh, uh, go and look at this picture if you're if you're listening. Again, trigger warning, because this is like an actual dead body leg, dead leg. I don't know. But it's it's too insane. Well, then it's probably not hers. I think she only is this had a genie. Single. This is Mary Reeser. Oh, I'm looking at Jeannie Safin. <laughs> well, but it's a thing. Like, you're you're finding other photos of just, like, legs and feet. Is this Mary Reeser? Yeah, that's the one. So as you can see in the picture, and this is a an audio medium, so this is a fascinating conversation to have. Oh, but uh, you can find this picture uh, on our website. Yes. Ain't it scary.com. Yeah, so everything below her and her body, besides her leg and foot are ash but what are we looking at is that a walker no i think that's the remains of the chair that she was sitting in this this looks like a walker it's got like a basket on the front Oh, let me see yeah it might be such a strange like why is there a toilet well she's in the bathroom but she was in a chair i don't know just hanging out i guess Hmm. (laughs) as you do hanging out in your in your bathroom with your walker yeah. Are, are we going to do Jeannie Safin? Uh, I don't believe so. This is like the big mid-century case. Jeannie's got two legs. <laughs> Look at the gams on this one. <laughs> uh, sorry, continue. Yes. So uh, three uh, 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit, almost 2,000 degrees Celsius. That was the temperature of the leg. They just said research temperature so i don't know where they stuck the thermometer can you can you put your hand right next to a 3500 degree leg without it burning your hand i genuinely don't know scientists get at us 3500 degree legs feel like they should be lighting the floor on fire just by sitting there i know and i i checked multiple sources on that temperature it doesn't seem correct it seems crazy but that's what they say so 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Bonkers heat. Um, in an article in the St. Petersburg Times, so this was Florida, keep in mind, a few days later, Jerry Blyzen? Sure. 
wrote that Mary was a, quote, robust woman of 170 pounds, which, like, that's so unnecessarily shady. To add that she was a robust woman? Like, first of all, say she's robust, like, just, like, twist the knife, and then publish her weight after she's dead? Like, no lady wants that. It might be relevant if part of what we're going to get into later is body fat. And maybe we will, Sean. But I, I have a feeling. <laughs> I don't I don't know if he got into it in the article. But as I recall from reading it, she's oh, just so pointing he's just like, out her weight. Fat lady go boom. <laughs> yes. But we both love a robust woman, Sean. So that's I nothing against Mary. Certainly do. <laughs> Mary knew how to party. Okay. Uh, she took sleeping pills and was also a smoker, which was pretty common at the time. Okay. A common theory about this case was that so she, she was... She was taking an Elvis nap. Yeah, w- without the peanut butter and banana sandwich first. Uh, so a theory is that she was smoking a cigarette. She fell asleep after taking sleeping pills. And then her still-burning cigarette ignited her nightgown, which led to her death, obviously. Right. Now, others told the coroner in the case that a, quote, capic cushion in the overstuffed chair did the deed well, this weird uh, the operation was done by a by a lightning bolt oh that chair cushion, cushion did, did the, the deed, deed. <laughs> others blamed quote ether kerosene napalm thermite bombs magnesium and phosphorus and not or it was i think all i think everyone these. like one was like it was napalm one was it was magnesium you know um, so I think that's how that came out. I'm not sure what Mary was doing that warranted a thermite bomb, but it's a theory. Yeah, or why she would have napalm. Why was her night why was her house coat <laughs> doused in napalm? Exactly. Aside from her sad, untouched leg, Investigators at the scene found Mary's skull. Oh, I'm sure someone found her beautiful, Caroline. No, it was just sad that it was just it was just his legs all alone. It's oh, untouched by fire. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> they found her skull. Okay. This is one of the craziest facts I have ever heard in a case that I'm about to tell you. I'm ready. The skull had shrunk. It's, sorry, what? <laughs> Like in Beetlejuice? <laughs> it had shrunk. And in some places that I found uh, investigators noting this, they add the descriptive flourish that it had drunk to the shrunk to the size of a teacup. What? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, that's basically the size of a fist, a closed fist. It's like a shrunken head. Yeah. Well, how did those guys do it? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm slightly afraid to Google it because I'm afraid that will immediately get uh, the people in the government after me. You think they're looking for, for head shrinkers? Listen, I already looked for how does a how hot does a human body burn? How do you burn a body? You know, greasy ashes, question mark. <laughs> Doesn't sound good. The the extent of this shrinkage was enough to be remarked on by official investigators and multiple different people, and it was stated by them that it was not an illusion caused by the removal of facial features via burning, like your ears, nose, lips, things that extend your face out with skin. 
Right. There are disputes on just how shrunken Mary's skull was, but it genuinely was a noted fact in the case, like in the case report. It was like, oh, her head was small. What's up? <laughs> so, I don't know. Who doesn't love a little head? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. The shrunken head is the weirdest thing that I've ever heard. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever heard about any of these kinds of cases. Yeah. It's actually probably a good time to take a break. All right. We'll be back after this. Beautiful. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty, and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the Fool series now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. When we last left you, St. Petersburg police had found a woman's leg and a shrunken head <laughs> in a pile of ash in St. Petersburg. Shrunken skull. Shrunken skull. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to all the shrunken heads out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the FBI was getting involved. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. The FBI ruled that she was a victim of the Wick effect, which we will go into later when we discuss overall SHC theories. They think John Wick had something to do with this? Yeah, she was real mean to his dog, and he blew her up with napalm. Yeah, it's not usually his style. I would have thought seven bullets to the head. Case closed, though. So, they posited that Mary's cigarette fell onto her acetate-made clothing and engulfed her completely, melting down the fat just under her skin, which leaked out into her clothing and acted as fuel for the fire, Mm. allowing her to burn to completion. To completion is how they put it? You know, to to ash. Till she was done. Mostly done. I mean, she saw her leg left and her shrunken head. The chair that she was sitting... Shrunken skull. Thank you. (laughs) The chair that she was sitting on had been treated with flame retardant, but was also destroyed. But the pile of newspapers stacked by the chair was completely unscorched. The pile of newspapers stacked on the chair? By the chair. Oh, okay. She wasn't using a stack of newspapers as, as kind of a booster seat. <laughs> no. No, I'm sure that they had piled up because she had been reading them in that chair over time. But they were unscorched. Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. The FBI also brought in physical anthropologist Dr. Wilton M. Krogman to investigate the scene. Professor Krogman of the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine ended up strongly disputing the FBI's findings. He wrote in a 1961 article for the General Magazine and History Chronicle of the University of Pennsylvania. Catchy title. That, quote, I find it hard to believe that a human body once ignited will literally consume itself, burn itself out, as does a candle wick, guttering in the last residual pool of melted wax. He added that, The head is not left complete in ordinary burning cases. Certainly it does not shrivel or symmetrically reduce to a smaller size. In the presence of heat sufficient to destroy soft tissues, the skull would literally explode in many pieces. I have never known any exception to this rule. So apparently he saw evidence of the head or he saw the the shrunken skull itself and he couldn't answer it. And he's a 
physical anthropologist. He says that skull should have gone pop. Yeah. Like, I ain't seen no, no skull like this before. He concluded that I cannot conceive of such complete cremation without more burning of the apartment itself. In fact, the apartment and everything in it should have been consumed. I regard it as the most amazing thing I have ever seen. As I review it, the short hairs on my neck bristle with vague fear. Were I living in the Middle Ages, I'd mutter something about black magic. So he's a real drama queen. I love this guy. I know, Why like, is he not writing novels? <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, the physical anthropologist. He also finished, This case still haunts me. Oh, when did he write this? <laughs> 1961. Oh, okay. So it's not like he wrote 30 years later, this case still haunts me. No, later he walked back this very intense assertion, instead presenting the bizarre theory that Mary had been murdered at another location. According to his later theory. I love this. This actually goes into. <laughs> this guy is wild. I want to meet him. I want to hang out with him. He's hold, wild. Hold on. I'm not lying to you when I say that I thought something similar as you were getting into the second case. But but go ahead. According to Krogman's theory, Mary's murderer had access to a crematorium type equipment and had incinerated her body wherever he, she, they had this equipment. This hypothetical murderer then supposedly uh, transported the results of this partial cremation back to the apartment and used portable heat-generating equipment to add the finishing touches, such as heat-buckled plastic objects near the body and the hot doorknob. So it's literally bringing it back to Macaulay Culkin hanging the charcoal starter on the doorknob <laughs> to torture Joe Pesci. <laughs> He's like, is... this'll do the trick. <laughs> as, as you laid it out. They'll never suspect it's a hot doorknob. As you laid it out, it, it's very elaborate. Mm -hmm. But was anyone ever arrested for her murder? No. Well, then it worked. <laughs> but it's, it's again, it's just like Paul Rowley with the... The lightning bolts, it somehow sounds more implausible than her just bursting into flame out of nowhere. Right. And and melt, bringing in a heat lamp to melt the plastic <laughs> and stuff is especially insane. And the doorknob. I mean, I guess it would explain why the doorknob is hot to the touch, even though nothing, again, burned around Mary aside from the chair and carpet underneath. Well, again, this just sounds like a, a lonely, potentially kind of sad lady with her stack of newspapers uh, I, I don't know who's going to all this trouble to take out a, like a CIA style hit on her. Right. I mean, it's just every, every fact is like a new weird fact on top of a thousand other weird facts that don't add up to anything that makes sense. Yeah. We, but with the first two ladies, uh, in the uh, 1700s and the 1800s, I was wondering if their husbands had murdered them, sawed off their legs and then just sprinkled some ashes around. What a weird thing to do though. Yeah, but the totally. husband died in the second in the second case, so. Oh, that's right, suicide. I mean, there might be more details, <laughs> idiot. There might be more details that were missing just because those are from the seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, and they're not noting everything down. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. To conclude my coverage of this case for this episode, I found a 2009 article by this very same reporter, Jerry Blyzen, who had written the original 1951 article on Mary's death. 
that I had cited before. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's like over 50 years later, he wrote a follow-up. He again shades Mary by bringing up her weight. Come on, guy. (laughs) This is to emphasize his partial belief in the FBI's theory of how Mary died, which is the wick effect Mm -hmm. idea. He states that according to Dr. Lemoyne Snyder, a medical legal expert, human fatty tissue is indeed highly combustible, particularly in heavy people, and in Blyson's opinion, this likely contributed to Mary's death. He does concede, however, that there were, quote, all sorts of anomalies, citing the untouched stack of newspapers and lack of widespread smoke or smell throughout. In the end, uh, the theories didn't really seem to satisfy him okay. fully. And I don't know if I'm satisfied by them either. They don't answer the question of how did her body burn so hot? Well, the theory that she was taken off site and put in a crematorium answers that question. Yeah, I guess. But seems very unlikely. I mean, it's without burning down the room or home around her. Anything else besides the chair and the square of carpet that the chair was sitting on. Something's buckled from the heat. But, like, the papers next to her didn't burst into flames. How hot does human fat burn? Do we have an answer to that? Oh, we already said that it's, like... We know how, how hot a human burns, so that's right. the max, I guess. Right. Um, so Mary Reeser, who was dubbed the Cinder Lady by the media, was buried in Chestnut Hill Cemetery in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. So if you're ever driving through, just pour one out for our old friend Mary... A little, little whiskey, a little smoke, and and think about um, that she achieved a kind of infamy in her death that, you know, we'll, we'll always be talking about her. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> we will. Uh, well, I, I'm not going to be able to stop seeing that picture of her legs. Well, so. that's why I said trigger warning. <laughs> this, uh, do, you have more, do you have more cases? Well, I'm glad you asked, Sean. Because I was thinking that maybe you thought that spontaneous human combustion was kind of an old-timey thing from the ones that I've presented already. Um, yeah, well, certainly. Here's the thing. I've never read a headline about it in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think you might have, though. Let's get into it. Because <laughs> I remember this. I remember when this happened. But, of course, I'm very attuned to stupid, weird, crazy headlines and, and stories. Because this happened in December 2010. Okay. In the land of your forefathers. We got Ireland. Mm. Okay. Michael Faherty was a 76-year-old man living in Galway. In the early hours of December 22nd, Faherty's neighbor, a Mr. Mannion, was awakened by the sound of his smoke alarm. Mannion went outside where he saw heavy smoke emanating from Faherty's home. Police investigators and the fire brigade were called, and Faherty's body was found lying on his back with his head closest to an open fireplace. I know what you're going to say. Well, fireplaces have fire in them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This guy caught on fire from his fireplace. Case closed. Probably drunk on whiskey. But, Sean, and you would know, wouldn't you? But there are very interesting aspects of this case that stand out, okay? First, the fire had been entirely confined to the sitting room where Faraday was found, and the only damage was to his completely cremated body, as well as the ceiling directly above and floor directly below him. 
There were no trace of accelerants found and nothing to suggest foul play had taken place. And there's also the fact that Faraday's body was totally incinerated. But as I mentioned before, wood fires like what would have been in Faraday's fireplace only burn around 800 to 900 degrees Fahrenheit, far from the required 200, no, 2000 plus degrees uh, that would reduce a body to ash. The assistant chief fire officer even told the inquest into the death that after a thorough investigation, fire officers were satisfied that the open fire was not the cause of the blaze which led to Ferretti's death. Hmm. So, ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, then what did they determine was the cause of death? Pathologist Grace Callagy noted in her postmortem that Ferretti had suffered from type 2 diabetes and hypertension, but had not died from heart failure, which... On the face of it, it's like, yeah, duh. We know. <laughs> but I think the point is that he didn't, like, have a heart attack and then fall into the fireplace and, and catch on fire or something after right. he passed away. The pathologist concluded that, the, quote, the extensive nature of the burns sustained precludes determining the precise cause of death. West Galway coroner Dr. Kieran McLaughlin informed the inquiry in 2011 that he had scoured medical literature to determine cause of death like he was like i got no answers so let me let me research he referred to a professor bernard knight's book on forensic pathology which which states that a high number of alleged incidents of spontaneous human combustion had taken place near an open fireplace or chimney again like yeah okay (laughs) that sounds less spontaneous mclaughlin subsequently stated to the inquiry that, quote, this fire was thoroughly investigated and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion for which there is no adequate explanation. So we got the coroner. We got the pathologist. Doctors. They're like, I don't fucking know. He burst into flame, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's like, that's the report. Like, I don't know. He, he spontaneously combusted. That's his official cause of death. Yeah. Wow. 2010. Mm-hmm. Now, since then, a couple of additional theories have popped up. Benjamin Radford, who is the deputy editor of the magazine Skeptical Inquirer, and uh, maybe your new hero, Sean, <laughs> <laughs> referred to researcher Joe Nichols' investigation of SHC in his book Real Life X-Files. And in his opinion, many cases of SHC are far less mysterious and often suggested. Like Faraday, many sighted victims are elderly, alone, near flames of some sort, which can include cigarettes, candles, fires, mm-hmm. and and they die. Um, Nickel also mentions that several were last seen drinking alcohol and smoking. Yep. That's true of several of ours here. It's a little victim blaming, but whatever. I'm not sure how the the alcohol would apply unless they think that caught on fire somehow. Well, it only would if it was over 50% alcohol. Right. So, got to get the good stuff, I guess. Or the bad stuff. The high stuff. So Benjamin Radford stated, it seems likely that a sparker ember might have popped from the fire onto his clothing and caught his clothing on fire. It's not clear why the coroner conclusively ruled this explanation out. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Sparks do come off flames. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could, I would also assume that the coroner was like, sparks could come off flames. Maybe that did it. (laughs) 
So there had to be some reason why they ruled it out. But Radford argues if SHC is a real phenomenon and not the result of an elderly or infirm person being too close to a flame, why doesn't it happen more often? So. It's a good question. A couple of thoughts. Well, it could just be low probability, right? Yeah. I mean, again, I I would trust a, a medical professional. Like, two different ones didn't really have an answer for what happened here. And the uh, fire brigade folks didn't think that the fireplace was involved. So that's multiple different kinds of professionals ruling those things out. Uh, what really lends weight to the SHC theory in this case, to me... It is just the the unexplainable nature of the heat. Again, like t- his whole body was ashes, and that's more than what is in a fireplace. That kind of heat, right? But once that spark, because human fat is so flammable, right? If if a if a spark does get to your your body fats somehow, then then they could ignite right up, right? And then they burn very hot, hot enough to burn bones. Is that how it works? I guess, but it has to get through the skin somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Something else has to be burning. Like a polyester jacket. Maybe. But, you know, if this is a real phenomenon, let's say it is, it probably does happen more often and it's just not investigated as such or it's given a more open-ended cause of death. Or it causes an actual fire and then it just looks like, yeah, they died right. in a fire. We're not sure what happened. Yeah. I mean, I can see so many more cases existing in the world that are more similar to these, but not being called spontaneous human combustion as cause of death because you're risking the ridicule of like skeptical inquirer and, you know, just risking your career and your credibility, especially as like a doctor or someone like that. Yeah. The skeptical inquirer holds a lot of clout in the industry. You really don't want (laughs) to get on the wrong side of them. You're opening yourself to getting mocked and discredited. So, so what's the theory? What causes the, where's the spark? Well, we have one more opinion from a retired professor of pathology named Mike Green on this case. Mike. Mike Green. Uh, He said that he had examined one suspected case of SHC previously in his career. He stated he would not use the term spontaneous combustion as there had to be some source of ignition, possibly a lit match or a cigarette. But in his opinion, quote, there is a source of ignition somewhere, but because the body is so badly destroyed, the source can't be found. Yeah, that makes sense so that to me. that seems reasonable. Like if the cigarette, well, 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit probably consumes the cigarette butt, right? Why not the leg, Sean? Why not the leg? Great question. It still is a great. That's the most fascinating part to me is actually that the the, the flames somehow shrunk ahead <laughs> and left a leg Which behind. I've never even heard of that anywhere else. It's the craziest thing. I can't get over that. I'll never get over it. No. But now that there's we've no gone, picture of the the skull, huh? I don't believe. I mean, maybe you know the file or whatever. I don't know why you'd be like, here's this corpse leg and not have that attached to it. Yeah, but put, put the skull next to the leg for like size reference. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I assume it it exists, but it's not for the general public. So we've gone through 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. Now we're up to today. So we can start to think about popular theories for why this thing happens. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to go back first to the Wick effect, which the FBI decided was Mary Reeser's uh, cause of death. This is where once you can get a hole, once you get a hole in your skin, the the fat starts going up. Uh, basically. So the Wick effect theory states that once the skin is ignited and burns via an external source, a person is kept aflame through their own melting body fats. The clothed human body acts like an inside-out candle with the fuel source, uh, human fat, on the inside and the wick, the victim's clothing, on the outside. Yeah, I feel okay. like inside-out candles, like the grossest bath and body work scent I can ever <laughs> think of. I can't believe you don't already have it. <laughs> God, ugh. Greasy moisture, the newest from bath and body. <laughs> In the wick effect theory, melting fat seeping into the victim's clothing provides a continuous supply of fuel as the fat contains a large amount of energy due to the presence of long hydrocarbon chains and a lot more scientific blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't really understand it. Okay. But that's the vague, the vague scientific idea behind it. Mm-hmm. Now, you remember that greasy moisture from the Countess? I do. Okay. Well, in a case report in Forensic Science International, um, they kind of might explain this through another case from 2006 in Geneva, Switzerland. Okay. The authors of this report mention that though the other objects in the room, aside from the body, were mostly undamaged, now this is in the 2006 case, they were covered in a brown, oily, or greasy coating. Just like the Countess. Just like the Countess. Could the weird greasy ash in this case and the countesses be due to melting fat fat from the wick effect? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, what do scientists say? Well, keep in mind Mm -hmm. that while melting fat can act as an efficient fuel, human fat also has a very high water content, which requires any flame uh, to be held to the fuel for an extended period of time. Which then lets it proceed very slowly when it comes to just consuming whatever object or person that it might be consuming. Mm -hmm. So scientifically, it seems most likely that whoever perishes from SHC would have to be A, incredibly inebriated due to alcohol or drugs or medication or something like that, or B, have already passed away due to some sort of medical reason, like heart failure or whatever because you're burning so slow you would just yeah, wake up just from like, oh, a fire sh- yeah right so they they argue that like there's no way someone would just let this happen to themselves as i mean when you think of like the monks that are like the self-immolating you know it seems insane because everything in your instincts in your body is telling you like don't let yourself be hurt and that is such a terrible way to go that the human body usually fights against it even if it's something you want to do which is you know why it takes so much concentration and don't do this okay none of you don't set yourself on fire you could be immortalized (laughs) on a rage against the machine album cover (laughs) but don't do it um i will say that while mary reeser's body could hardly be tested for drugs in her system because there's no body there's no system Mm -hmm. uh she had mentioned to her son that she was going to take some second to sleep that evening yeah, Elvis nap. Yeah, good old fashioned. We don't know for sure if she did. But if she had, could it have knocked her out so deeply that she wouldn't wake up from her body bursting into flame? I don't know. 
the wick effect also tend to feel tentatively might explain why much of the time feet or legs are left while the rest of the body is ash oh great why well according to some this is because that they are usually the least fatty parts of the body and have less fuel to burn yeah they should see my chicken thighs and talk to me about that well not even that like i'm a lady with thick calves and it's hard for me to buy in every case especially if you're saying like she's a robust woman like so she probably doesn't have defined thin calves or well, you, legs. You saw the calf. Well, yeah. It didn't look like a big lady's calf. Well, she wasn't. She wasn't actually a big lady. She was only 170 pounds. That's not. That's that's maybe 50s fat. That's not like actually. We don't know how robust. tall she was. She was average, probably. But anyway, maybe that's why. I don't know. But why did the other leg burn? Tell me that. Yeah. Great question. Tell me that, Sean. Can't do it. Won't do it. Now, not necessarily separate from the wick effect theory is that these bodies may have been ignited by open flames like cigarettes or fireplaces. So this this could also be an aspect of this theory. It's more about it not being, oh, they just blew up because they blew up. Like, there has to be a reason. Consumer Affairs reported in 2004 that at that time, the improper disposal of smoking materials caused one in every four fire deaths in the United States. And that's just 2004. So, I mean, you go back when, like, people were smoking constantly, especially in the house. Like, say, in 1962 or whenever that was? I think it was 51. Oh. But same, same idea. Mad Men times, if you will. It doesn't preclude the wick effect theory if we take this into account, but it does give an answer to how that wick would be ignited. Mm-hmm. Not all victims, however, have been noted smokers or had obvious ignition sources nearby, like candles or fireplaces. You know, like Mary, like was she smoking a cigarette? We don't know, but she didn't have a candle or a fireplace going. Brian J. Ford, in his article, Solving the Mystery of Spontaneous Human Combustion, wrote, When reviewing the victims of SHC, I discern a single factor that they might all have in common. Mm -hmm. Some, but not all, were alcoholics. Some, but not all, were overweight. Some, but not all, were old and enfeebled. Some, but not all, smoked cigarettes. But they all seem to have been unwell. Mm. So in this article, he hypothesizes further that in many conditions, including alcoholism, blood glycogen levels become depleted. Cells uh, can no longer rely upon conventional energy resources, and fat molecules are used instead as an energy source. Okay. Sure. Like, Like your body's starving. Basically. So to sum up some very complicated science, at least in, in my eyes, I'm sure many people listening are like, this is easy. But in Ford's opinion, through this complex conversion uh, of energy, acetyl-CoA in the liver is translated into acetoacetate, which okay. can decarboxylate into acetone. Okay. So basically, because of this, you get acetone, okay? Okay. And acetone's an accelerant? Well, you may recognize that it is extremely flammable because it's in most nail polish removers, and they also they always say, like, don't hold this near a candle while you're doing so, yes, it is an accelerant. It's very flammable. And this acetone may become an essential energy supply for body cells starved by illness. So people who are unwell 
alcoholic have different issues when it comes to how their body's processing things might have a high level of acetone in their body Hmm. that might contribute. It's kind of a version of like ketosis um, where the the fat of the body produces ketones out of fat and uses them for energy instead of carbohydrates. So this, you may recognize kind of the word ketosis if you're like... If you're familiar with the keto diet. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this for anyone listening who's a keto adherent or whatever. You may also be more at risk for spontaneously combusting Oh, because of this. Because you're creating acetone in your body? Mm-hmm. Ford argues that since acetone can ignite at a concentration below 14% and burns with a clear blue flame, the fact that noted Wickefent experiments have yielded results featuring combustion with a yellow, sometimes smoky flame means that SHC-involved blue flames are not the result of a wick effect. So when it comes to when it comes to people who have witnessed spontaneous human combustion, they always describe blue flames. So people have seen people just mm-hmm. burst into flames? Well, Ford mentions one time um, in 1938, a 22-year-old woman named Phyllis Newcomb burst into flames on a dance floor in Romford, England. Oh, she's on fire! She's lighting up that dance she floor. Was. And the flames were described by numerous witnesses as blue, specifically. Hmm. So if you're following, Ford says that in his experiment... Uh, where he used a segment of pig abdominal wall, which mimics human flesh pretty closely. Uh, People use that in all sorts of crime investigations. They soaked this abdominal wall in acetone and set it on fire. The flesh burst into blue flames upon the application of a small butane lighter. The flesh burned hot for a few minutes and died down, which just revealed a mound of blackened ash. Wow. Mm-hmm. As well, the little chair the flesh was resting on, which is just a stupid image to me, just this like little little chair with just this pig stomach on I'm, it. I'm picturing like an office chair, like a rolly chair. <laughs> and they put googly eyes on it or something. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so this little chair was left standing in a liquid pool of melted body fat, the pig's fat. And the chair didn't burn, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess not. Yeah, it was left standing in the pool, so it, like, burned, like, right down. dripped down. Yeah, which must have smelled delicious. But anyway, this seems well, I to... I hope they didn't waste that uh, pig fat. I hope they cooked some uh, cooked some eggs in it or something. <laughs> oh, God. This seems to point back to the wick effect because it uses fat as fuel. But Ford mentions that since acetone is produced by our metabolism when we're unwell and tired or dieting, things like that, the acetone um, levels increase. And these experiments suggest that acetone is stored in the tissues. Okay. So when they used another acetone experimental model, it showed remarkable similarities to what has been seen in real-life cases of SHC. The torso is completely burned, but the legs remained unscathed, with oily smoke rising from the heated remains and no other damage to nearby objects aside from the charred flooring beneath. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is good work. Yeah, he. Did. this was a several-page article. He did a lot of research. There were pictures. Uh, if I were to again try and give the gist of this hypothesis, which is pretty complex... 
Ford offers, in his opinion, a natural metabolic explanation for SHC, which is that illness, alcoholism, intense dieting, things like that could produce an extremely high amount of acetone in the body due to ketosis. And acetone is incredibly flammable and could be ignited even perhaps by a single static spark. So not even necessarily flame. So if you are on that keto diet, just you got to stay away from doorknobs, I guess. Kevin McAllister or no, that it's just the static is going to get you. Well, he says to his readers, if you are suffering ketosis, suffering, by the way, uh, <laughs> it might be wise to avoid wearing synthetic fibers with the likelihood of static sparks. If you're susceptible to ketosis, now might be the perfect time to give up smoking. Wow. So he basically ends with a warning, like, if you're doing the keto diet, which I don't even know if it was a thing. He wrote it after... I think he, he's written it in the last 10 years or so. I don't know if it was after the um, the diet became a kind of a fad, but he basically like ends with a warning. Yeah. So that keto diet's all the rage, but uh, you're setting yourself up for some for some spontaneous human combustion. That's amazing research, Caroline. That's that's Mr. Ford. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just poorly reporting back what he did when he set a pig on fire. No, I love it. I really learned something <laughs> here today. Well, you know, if if you were considering keto or any of our keto convert friends out there, uh, just maybe give the diet a little more consideration because you could end up like the Countess, Matilda, Mary, or Michael. Especially if you have an M name, I guess. Too. The Countess, Matilda, Mary, and Michael. Mm-hmm. We need now. We need uh, that's our first piece of merch: is the Countess and Matilda and, <laughs> and Mary uh, and, and Michael. Michael. Yes. And now there are other theories. Okay. Uh, but they're far from the only ones. Everyone's got a theory. It could be napalm, right? It could be lightning. Of course. Other more medical theories include an overproduction of a diphosphane in the gut, a rare condition called mast cell activation syndrome, scalding. <laughs> just just uh, scalding? That's not a theory, it's and a I word. I burst into flame and, yeah, I don't know, scalding. Uh, misdiagnosed self-immolation. So again, the kind of suicide theory that people just didn't figure out that it was a suicide. I'm surprised there's not more like conspiratorial theories, things about like CIA microwave guns or something like Uh, that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure they're out there. I (laughs) I was trying to stay pretty scientific and then going to like main sources of, of all of these things. But I mean, you got people blaming a pseudoscientific subatomic particle called Pyrotron. The Pyrotron. (laughs) Pyrotron 5000. I love. Tell me about the Pyrotron. I don't know. It sounds like a robot that sets you on fire. Uh, I just found that it's a particle, (laughs) you know, and it could be ball lightning. Which is not lightning from your balls. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask. That's another kind of unexplained phenomenon that we might get into, you know, in the future. But it's, yeah, there's really no answer for that either. And it could even be poltergeist activity. Sure. Anything (laughs) could be poltergeist activity. Sure. If you really try hard enough. Yeah. There are countless, countless theories. These are just a handful of them. Um, but those those main two were the ones that have been cited the most and that I find most interesting, which are the Wick effect and the, I guess I'll call it the acetone theory. 
Well, I, I'm almost tempted to say shame on you for bringing so much um, credible information into this podcast. Well, because, listen, I was really trying to figure out how this could happen if there's not fire around. Right. Because Which, in we, some of these It sounds cases, like we didn't get there, right? You well, need an external well, source of ignition. Unless you got static. That's external. It's external, but it's not like, like you can generate that with your body. I'm talking about like definable flames, flames, cigarettes, candles, lighters, fireplaces. There are a couple of those in, in these cases, but not all of them. Not all cases have something where they can point to and say, this was it. But the acetone keto theory gets us to a place where sparks may be igniting them. Yeah. And I don't know. I want to know what you think first. Like, what's what's your thought on on this whole phenomena? I love that that thing about ketosis sounds uh, uh, bulletproof to me. Yeah, uh, it makes sense to me. If and he said at less, well, he said at less than fourteen percent. It's like, all right, your cells produce acetone, but I'd be curious to talk to like some act- some people who know science about right. how much acetone your cells produce in ketosis because it seems like. I mean, it's poisonous, right? I, I can't imagine you're soaking your, your internal organs in it when you're on a keto diet. Well, it's ke- the diet. tissues, so maybe it's not in the organs. It's more in the outer outer layers of your body. Your fats and skins. Mm-hmm. You know, your assorted fats and skins. Yeah. So, I mean, may- maybe, and then if, if you're unwell, I, you know, maybe that ketosis kicks into overdrive and there's a lot of acetone. It seems like you'd need a lot of acetone, though, to, to make yourself so flammable mm-hmm. that a spark sets it off. But Certainly. I, I think in a lot of these, um, a static spark, I think in a lot of these there are other ignition sources like that fireplace, like the cigarette. Right. And there, I, I would be willing to say that that's definitely the case for a few of these, right? Especially ones that maybe from further back in the day and they have less uh, ability to investigate as well. You yeah. Know? You think that countess didn't have a candle in her room? How did she see? She had candles, remember, but they the wick was still there, but the tallow had melted. So it seemed like the candles hadn't burned, but the tallow had melted from the heat. Right. Nearby or right. whatever. But the candles probably were lit before the fire. I am not sure. Mm-hmm. No one is. Now, I really like the acetone theory. I really do. That's my favorite. I'm on board with that. And again, we're really going by what this guy wrote in his paper, mm-hmm. which he had proof for and everything. He had photos. He did his his experiments with, you know, where he worked on this hypothesis and stuff. But... I like I like the concept. I really think it's interesting. Yeah, and, and and I think it means we really most of all have to give our our listeners this important advice, which is eat carbs, don't burst into flames. <laughs> right. I mean, he started with the, the the idea of like what ties all these people together, and some of them had ignition sources, but some didn't. Some were alcoholic, some weren't. But they were all but sad. Some were elderly, some weren't, but they all had some sort of medical medical-focused issue. Whether that's being diabetic, like Michael was, mm-hmm. um, whether that's being alcoholic, whether it's, you know, a whole host of things, or... Just being old. Or dieting extremely, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they're were any cases where they noticed that and the person spontaneously combusted. But he said it is an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
I don't know. I like it. I like it because it gives an answer to how could this happen without any flame whatsoever. Yeah. Which I think is the most important thing because, I mean, you look at the the girl bursting into flames while she was dancing. Did, did he ever do a lot of sparks out on that dance floor? Sparks were flying there. <laughs> and lighting it up. Um, did he ever do an experiment getting acetone to... Did he ever... Do we know that acetone can light on fire from a static spark? A static spark specifically? I'm not sure if he was able to like create that or not. I know one of the things he used was a butane lighter. But he said that that's a possibility. Uh, as he said before, illness, alcoholism, or intense dieting could produce an extremely high amount of acetone in the body due to ketosis. Acetone, which is incredibly flammable and could be ignited even perhaps by a single static spark. So. Yep, I've got the U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board here. Static sparks can readily ignite the vapor-air mixtures of many flammable and combustible liquids. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's the most sensible thing. As You know, I do I think that people can just burst into flame from the inside out? It's hard for me to think that, believe that. Uh, yeah, me it's too. It's so crazy. Well, and, and also we're so, we're so full of water yes. that it's hard for me to think. Seventy percent. I mean, back in the day, uh, people used to think that there was some sort of engine on the inside driving us, right? That was fueled by fire. That is an actual thing that old timey people thought. They didn't really understand the heart or the brain. Uh, in the way that we do today. They mm -hmm. thought there was an actual engine that is fed by something, I don't know, food, and it powers us. And that's how these things happened. But we know now uh, about the heart and the brain and all these things, and also that we are mostly water, and that it, it, it renders it unbelievable to me that we could just burst into flame from the inside out. Now, inside out candle, maybe. <laughs> but... Um, I, I don't think you can have a spark inside of your belly that just immolates you from the inside. I don't think that's possible. But the biggest thing we've learned today is that there's always an ignition source around if um, you're wearing clothes that generate static. Mm -hmm. If we're going by the acetone theory. Because again, uh, that probably wouldn't work if we're just basing it on the body. You know, <laughs> like how bodies are, human fat. Because then... Every time I touch a car, I might burst into flame. Right. A static spark can't burn your clothing, which you, you would need to do in that case to burn through your skin. Or, yeah, or even your skin. Um, but if it gets through somehow to, to the acetone, I don't know if it's on your breath, maybe. But it could, it could happen. I don't know. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for this. <laughs> You're welcome, Sean. You're welcome for that haunting image of the single leg and thinking about a shrunken skull just hanging out. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we will be right back after a break with news. I think we got a segment for you. Mm -hmm. uh, for now, everybody stay unignited. Oh, boy. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, 
But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. We're crying saucers. We're going to get a theremin. (laughs) In a well-publicized mass sighting, many drivers on the New Jersey Turnpike were stunned to see what appeared to be a giant UFO hovering in the sky on the evening of September 14th. Social media blew up with videos, pictures, tweets, and TikToks showing the strange event, and admittedly, it does look pretty crazy. However, it seems that most likely the blimp was simply the Goodyear dirigible hovering over New Jersey's MetLife Stadium to capture the New York Giants versus Pittsburgh Steelers football game that night. Oh, well, that's an easier explanation that we didn't even have to go to Swamp Gas for this one. No, Swamp Thing, maybe. Swamp Thing. (laughs) But some don't buy this explanation, Sean, saying in comparison to a photograph of the Goodyear blimp, the New Jersey aircraft doesn't seem to match up. We'll post a picture and let our listeners be the judge. Does it not match up because it's so much smaller and brighter because it's in the sky at night? <laughs> There's like a, like, it looks like an LED screen. Like it looks all lit up. A big rectangle on it that is bright. It's it's very strange. Um, but it's similarly shaped to the Goodyear blimp, so I don't know. In the Goodyear blimp was over it was the Meadowlands. There, yeah. <laughs> Just checking. We're back in Poe's Cryptid Corner. We're journeying to Loch Ness in Scotland for this week's story, home of the famed cryptid Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Our old friend. Our old friend Nessie. There's been a lot of Nessie talk in the last week or so. Multiple visitors of to the lock in the last month have reported Nessie sightings with the local Rossshire Journal reporting that in late September, couple Corey and Lauren Sturrock claimed to see something, quote, the size of a bus emerge from the water. The eel-like creature turned previous Nessie skeptic Corey into a believer and he wasn't the only one. The official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register <laughs> has recorded a number of sightings this year with the most recent before the Sturrocks having occurred on August 29th, with accompanying photos taken by another tourist. Another couple, Trevor and Sarah Ross, were walking along the lock around the same weekend and also felt they saw something unusual, with Trevor capturing the anomaly on camera as their dog, Molly, appeared to be spooked. However, to my eye, it looks like a bobbing log on the water, but our intrepid listeners can decide for themselves. So to your eyes, not a prehistoric sea monster? Mm, No. No, it it looked like it was a a very bobbing motion. And I've seen sea creatures poke their heads out of the water. It's not usually like boing, boing, boing. (laughs) So, but who knows? The dog didn't like it. Nessie's getting busy. Apparently. Poe barks at all kinds of things that aren't sea monsters. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Uh, Thank you for listening. 
Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. Please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. We will be forever grateful. See you next Tuesday. Show created by Sean McCabe and Carrie Ferrante. Music by Kyle Ryan. This has been a production of Longboy Media. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home.